Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 11 in the series, Contending for the Faith. This is the morning session of Sunday the 19th of July, 2009, entitled, The Fundamentals, the Eternal Existence of a Triune God. And the Bible readings are taken from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 22, and Isaiah chapter 43, verses 10 to 14. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Isaiah chapter 43 If you like to hold your finger there, turn back just a ways in your Bible to 2nd book of Samuel chapter 7 and verse 22. I invite you to stand with me for the honoring, to honor the reading of God's holy word. First of all, from 2nd Samuel chapter 7 and verse 22, the word of God says, Wherefore thou art great, O Lord God. Well, there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And then in Isaiah chapter 43, picking up in verse 10, says, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I have declared and have saved, and I have showed when there was no strange God among you. Therefore ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. Yea, before the day was, I am he. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work, and who shall let it? Thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Father, we thank you again this morning. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being in your house. We thank you for health and strength to be here. We thank you for each one that has come this way. And Father, we thank you that, Lord, that even in our lives that sometimes can become so busy with so many things going on around us, Father, help us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Help us, Lord, to come together to take this time out. Lord, yes, we need the fellowship one with another, the encouragement of one with another. But, Father, that we might come and together magnify and glorify your name, that we might worship you. And, Father, that even now as we enter into this most important time of the service today, we pray, Lord, because we realize that Lord, if anything good is to be gained here today, if anything is to have any uh, lasting effect, that it must come from you. Father, we pray that in spite of this weak vessel, that through the power of your Spirit, you would anoint, you would speak, you would meet the need of each heart here today, whether it's a Christian that's bearing an extra burden or whether it's a lost person that needs to be saved, a backslider that needs to be restored. Father, may you meet the needs through your power as only you can and for your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. And amen. We continue this morning in our series, which we have been looking at. There are many things in this world as believers, as Christians, as those that are already part of the family of God, that we can disagree on, that we can think differently, that we can do differently. But there are also some fundamental things which we must agree on that the Bible we have seen already has told us that we must contend for, that we must be willing to fight for. 
And of course, we looked in the last three sermons on the first of those fundamental beliefs, and that was, of course, the very basis of our faith, the inspired Word of God. Do we really, genuinely have God's Word? Yes, we do. And that must be the basis of all we believe in the lives that we live. But I want to speak to you today on the second of those fundamental beliefs that, folks, we can't disagree on this. This is something that all believers everywhere, if they are to be sound in the faith that we are contending for, we must be in agreement. And that is the eternal existence of a triune God. Do we know that God exists? And if so, how do we know that and what do we know about Him? You see, first of all, I just want to turn your attention to the existence of God and it is not my intention here today to prove to you that God exists. Even God Himself doesn't do that. His word begins with the simple statement in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God. He was there. It's simply an accepted fact. It's unquestionable. It only requires that we open our eyes and use what little bit of brain that we might have. Psalm 19.1 said, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. We just look around us. That's why, as I stated earlier, that there are so many wonders in this world. That's why that I look forward, you know, to this, this coming week to seeing one of those magnificent wonders and to stand there and to realize only God could have done this. You know, men have a lot of different views concerning the existence of God. Turn with me in your Bibles to the 14th Psalm, if you would, Psalm 14. And I want you to notice, first of all, it says in verse 1, The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. You see, there are those in the world which we would call atheists that just simply say, there is no God. He just doesn't exist. But of course, God says that person is a foolish person indeed. He says they're corrupt. They have done abominable work and there's none that doeth good. Some would not go as far as to say that there is no God, but of course, not only the atheists, but we have the, the agnostics. Notice what he says here in verses two and three, the Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. You see, the agnostic is just the old fence straddler. <laughs> he just straddles a fence. He's not willing to commit one way or the other that there is a God or that there isn't. He'll say something like, you really can't tell whether there's a God or not. Nobody can really tell, and it doesn't really matter after all. <laughs> the agnostic, the atheist, 
The third one I call as we look here in verse 4, notice what it says. Have all the wonders of iniquity no knowledge? Who eat up my people as they eat bread and call not upon the Lord? I simply call him the academic. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not up here promoting ignorance this morning, okay? <laughs> I'm speaking of those that fill themselves with man's knowledge without God, and that's precisely what God is speaking of here. Where, do they not have any real knowledge? We might see them as the naturalists, the, the materialists. God asks us, do they have no knowledge? You see, God in his true knowledge has no part in their thinking. They just simply write out say, we don't need God. We've got it all figured out without him. We can run the universe just fine all on our own. Just give me an ocean of atoms and a force to make it move like a big bang or something and we'll explain how you got here and where you are and where it's all headed. They have the academic knowledge of man but they're missing all the knowledge of God. The atheist, the agnostic, the academic. But I'm part of this fourth group. I call him the advocate. Notice what he says here in verse 5. There were they in great fear, for God is in the generation of the righteous. Ye have sinned the counsel of the poor. Ye have shamed the counsel of the poor, because the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that the salvation of Israel will come out of Zion. When the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice and Israel shall be glad. Do you know that there is a void, there is an emptiness within a man without God that nothing in all of the universe can feel? There is a peace and a joy that comes from him living within that nothing else, you can search high and low, you can go from one end of the earth to the other and you'll never find anything that will take his place. When I say the advocate, I'm speaking of the advocate of truth, the supporter of God and his word. The psalmist says, for God is in the generation of the righteous. You see, the Christian, the child of God, we know that there is a God. We know without a doubt there's nothing. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You can't please God without faith. And yes, I stand here, I can declare to you as a believer, as an advocate of God's truth this morning, that yes, there is a God. And yes, that is by faith. But my friend, it is not a blind faith. Our faith doesn't go contrary to, to what we see around us by evidence, but rather it's supported by it. God says, just look at it and use your brain. You'll know that somebody had to do this. As I stated in the beginning, it's not my purpose to spend my time trying to prove to anyone that there's a God. I believe it by faith. And there's certainly much evidence to support it. And I say to you, absolutely nothing 
nothing of truth or fact to contradict the existence of our God. The atheists, the agnostics, the academics of a knowledge without God, they can choose to close their eyes to the truth that's all around them in creation as well as the Word of God if that's what they choose to do. I will be an advocate of truth. I want to stand boldly and clearly and declare that there is a God. He exists, and he exists for you as an individual this morning. The truth is, folks, simply there is no excuse for not believing in the existence of God. The Bible says all are without excuse, and all will themselves face their choices one day. Romans chapter 1. If you look with me there for just a moment, Romans chapter 1, notice what it says beginning in verse 18. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Man wants to be able to explain it all away himself. The truth is this, folks, you need not waste your time trying to prove to anyone that God exists. If all around them does not show them that fact, then there's nothing that you're going to be able to say that's going to change their mind. Yes, take them to God's Word. But the Bible says they're without excuse because all that's around them declares who He is. It's not only fundamental to our faith to believe that God exists, though. I believe that we realize and comprehend as we understand that God exists, that it is the eternal existence of God. I've already quoted from Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. You notice that the book of beginnings does not begin with the beginning of God, but simply the beginning of everything else that exists. In the beginning, God was already there. And yes, I believe that anyone that truly holds to the fundamentals of God's word, I believe that they will believe that God not only exists, but that yes, it was his hand that created all that exists. But that's another sermon for later. Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 27. The Bible says, note it, the eternal God is thy refuge. Your refuge, your refuge is in a God that had no beginning and no end, a God that always exists. He says, and underneath are the everlasting arms. You know, I like to think that 
within all of my weaknesses and failings and shortcomings and everything else that, that at least within my heart, there's a compassion there for mankind. I hate to see people hurt, even if it's somebody that I don't know. And, 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 I, and I know sometimes I'm a bit of a softy because, you know, I can see somebody hurting that I don't know and, and suddenly something just starts wringing those tears. It's just, you know, it doesn't feel nice to see people hurt, to see people that are struggling. And yet the truth is, with all the compassion and all the goodwill in the world, I will let you down. Your best friend will let you down. Those closest to you will let you down, even though sometimes it may be completely unintentional. But God's everlasting arms, <laughs> I mean, they are always there. It's the eternal God that is your refuge, Brother Chris. It's his everlasting arms that are always there for you. Boy, preacher, sometimes I don't feel like I'm being held very much. I know. But he's there. Always has been. Always will be. We find that if we look into the book of Revelation, the only place that this term is used, but it's used four times there, in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8, Notice who's speaking these words. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord. Just as we sang a while ago, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty, Almighty God himself, the beginning and the end. Just a few verses down. In verse 10, John says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. We find that just towards the close of this same book in Revelation chapter 21, in verses five and six, and he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. You see, even here today, Jesus Christ is the beginning and the end. There's nothing, there's nothing that exists before him. There's nothing that exists after him. And he says, if you're a thirst, he will give you freely. That's the everlasting God that's promising that to you. And then in chapter 22, verse 12 and 13, we sing about this too. He says, and behold, I come quickly. And my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. You see, we serve an eternal God. There is nothing that is outside of him. There is nothing that he cannot deal with. Find that. 
In Isaiah 43, we read those verses earlier. He said, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I have declared and saved, and I have showed when there was no strange God among you. Therefore, ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. Yea, before the day was, I am he, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work, and who shall let it? Who's going to hinder it? Thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy. Do you know, yes, man can look around. A man can see God in all of creation and all the wondrous things that are around him. But he says something else to us here. He's talking to us as his people. He says, you know who I am. You know that I'm he. And you are my witnesses. How much of God do people see in you and I today? Do they know that God exists because there is something there that they cannot explain, that they can't put down to man, that they can't put down to man's doings because God is that present within us, the eternal God, the beginning and the end that always has been and always will be. He's there in us. People should be able to look because he's our redeemer. He's our savior. They should know that God exists in our lives. You see, if the basis of our faith is not the word of man, is not the word of religion, is not the word of some church, is not the word of some preacher, but if it is the word of God as it ought to be, then we should have absolutely no doubt whatsoever as to the eternal existence of our God. It couldn't be stated more clearly in his word. The eternal existence of our God, I say to you unashamedly, is a fundamental truth of our faith. But there's one more aspect of that that I would like to give to you this morning. The existence of God, the eternal existence of God, but thirdly, the equal existence of a triune God. <laughs> you see, not only do we see that our God is eternally existent, but that he is eternally existent equally in three persons. Our God is a triune God, three in one. Not a triad of three individuals, but three persons in one. Not one person manifesting himself in, in three essences, but three persons in one. That's hard to understand. Matter of fact, so much so that many would just deny it altogether. Some would make the Son and the Spirit, creatures of God that he created. Folks, that's a great violation of Scripture. Though the word Trinity is not found in the Bible anywhere, the truth of the Trinity is something that is shown and taught throughout the Word of God. Yes, I know it can sound strange, especially to an unbeliever. <laughs> folks, we don't worship three gods but one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three in one. <clears throat> we
we seek sometimes to find illustrations to help us and somehow to help us to understand, but nothing quite works because there's nothing else truly like it in the entire world. We can get glimpses of it. Illustrations like a a three-leaf clover, three leaves, but one plant. Illustrations that sometimes would use water in its natural state of liquid, in its heated state of vapor, in its frozen state of solid. But yet, it doesn't quite come through because they can't be all those at one time, can they? Man, being body, soul, and spirit that was made in God's image. And to some degree, it's been stated that Food appeals to the body and music to the soul and worship to the spirit, each appealing to three different parts of man and yet all appealing to the one man. Seen the illustration of sunshine. Heat rays that you can feel them, but you can't see them. Light rays that you can see, but you don't feel. Chemical rays. You can't see them, you can't feel them, but you can sure see the clear effects of them afterwards. (laughs) Together, they all make up sunshine, three rays but one light. You see, without any one of those elements that make up light, there is no light. Without any one part of man, there's no man. Without any one person of the Godhead, there is no God. You see, none of these illustrations really show us the true full picture They might give us a little glimpse, maybe an idea, but they all fall very short because there simply is nothing else in the entire world like our God. And again, if we just look to the basis of our faith, to the Word of God, we see the truth of a triune God clearly taught. I've referred in all of these to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The very first time that God is even mentioned in Scripture, the eternally existent one, the name used for him is the Hebrew name Elohim. That's the name for God that speaks of his strength and of his faithfulness. But it's a, what's known as a uniplural noun implying plurality. Now, why would the first time that God is even introduced to man, why would he use a name that, yes, declares his strength and his faithfulness, but a plural noun at that, that would say that he's more than just a single? It's also common to see the use of what's known as plural personal pronouns when speaking of God. Notice just a few verses along in verse 26 of chapter 1 there of of Genesis when he's recording the very creative act of creating man. In verse 26 he says, And God said, Let, what's the next word in your Bible? Us, not me. Let us make man in, what's the next word there? Our image. After our likeness, we see it when 
Judgment is brought upon that first man and that first woman in Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. We see the same thing when God is bringing judgment upon man at the Tower of Babel. Genesis eleven seven. go to. Let us go down, let us go down there and confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. We can look at illustration after illustration. In fact, from Genesis to Revelation, we see one God in three persons, three in one. We often see God in all three persons present together and fulfilling their different roles. In Matthew chapter 3, in verse 16, we find that the beginning of our Lord Jesus Christ's ministry at his own baptism in John, or I'm sorry, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, and Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. All three, seen individually in their persons, but yet one God. We find in the Gospel of John chapter 14, just as where Jesus is preparing his disciples for, yes, his soon crucifixion, for his departing from that earthly ministry where they had, had walked with him. And notice in John chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus promised, and I, Jesus will pray the Father, God the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that paraclete, to come alongside you that he may abide with you when? Forever. We could go on. We could see it in the very baptismal formula that we are given, that we baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. We find it in the benediction when we're asking God's blessing upon those as we're parting company. You see, the doctrine of a triune God is central to our faith, folks. Even though it is a truth that is, yes, beyond human comprehension because there's nothing truly to compare it to in our human experience. But we can't read the Word of God without seeing this great truth taught from beginning to end. We can say by faith that while there is only one God, He exists eternally as three persons equally three in one. Three persons equal in their attributes, worthy of our praise. Three persons that are all equally God and three persons yet all one. All equal in all their attributes because they're all together one God yet still three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We also see their individuality of roles in what is known as the doctrine of procession. You see, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, teaches that it was the Father that sent forth the Son. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth the Son, made of a woman, made under the law. Why? to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. God the Father sent God the Son to be mine and your Redeemer. 
that we might be able to be adopted into his family. We find in John chapter 15 and verse 26 that it was God the Father and God the Son that sent forth God the Holy Spirit. It says, but when the Comforter is come, Jesus said, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth forth from the Father, he shall testify of me. So we see God the Father sent forth God the Son and God the Father and God the Son have sent forth God the Holy Spirit. Folks, those roles are never, ever reversed in Scripture. You see, they are individuals, and they all have their roles, and yet they're all one God. And it's hard for us to get our little finite brains around that. Some things we accept by faith. I remember reading somewhere that many have said that the Trinity is proof sufficient of inspiration. Well, I understand what they're saying. Somebody went on to say where, in fact, maybe it's inspiration that is proof evident of the Trinity. You see, I know what they're saying both ways. Trinity is proof of inspiration because, well, God wouldn't have made up something that that was hard for man to understand if he was trying to get him to believe this was, this was his book. And yet, it is God's Word that is proof above all else that we have a triune God that has been ever existent. He is the beginning. He is the end. Nothing before him, nothing after him. That he and his three persons are present with you and I. We accept it by faith on the basis of scriptural revelation, even if it's beyond us fully comprehending it. Even if it's beyond as this preacher stands here this morning in trying to define it, explain it. Our God exists, and he has done so for eternity past, and he will do so for eternity future. Folks, whatever you might be struggling with today, whatever burden that you might be carrying, whatever it might be that's, that's got you down in this life, God was here before it, and God will be here after it. And God is your eternal God present in three persons, to meet every need that you might have. May I simply remind you, folks, that if we're going to contend for the faith, that faith that was once for all delivered unto the saints, there are some fundamentals of the faith for which we've got to be willing to contend. We've got to be willing to fight for because without them, that Faith simply does not exist. One of them, as we looked at already, that we do not have man or any religion or anything else, but we have the Word of God as the sole basis of our faith, folks. God's Word. And secondly, we have a God, an eternal eternally existing God that exists in a triunity. And remember that verse that we started with in 2 Samuel? I want to give you this in closing. He says, Wherefore thou art great, O Lord God, for there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee, 
according to all that we have heard with our ears. I said in the beginning, I'm not about in my feeble, fleshly way to try to prove to you that God exists. I will show you that God exists through his own word, that he has always existed and that he has always existed in three persons and he always will. I want to remind you this morning that it is that God, the almighty God, the God that is the cause of everything that is, the God that holds it together, the same God that one day soon is returning for you, for me, that have put our faith and trust and all of our eternal hope in him. The truth is that God is the God that is here today. And he's here today. If you're here and you're lost and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he is here today to save you. Folks, that's why Christ came, to redeem you from your sins. If you're here as a Christian today and you're walking afar off, I'm saying he is here today. He is your eternal refuge. I don't care what the circumstances say. I don't care what your flesh feels. Those things can be deceptive. They can, they can be deceptive above all things, but God cannot lie. I am telling you, and I can tell you without blinking an eye, I don't care what you're going through. I don't care how bad it feels. God is here for you. And God will meet your need. And God knows exactly what you need. If you'll just trust him with it, quit trying to carry it yourself. Quit trying to do it yourself. Trust the eternally existent God. He is your refuge. It's his everlasting arms that will uphold you. And you see, the simple truth is this, whether it's your life or my life or what I see going on all around me, none of those things are the basis of my faith. None of those things are why I believe what I believe. And whether I understand it or not, and whether I feel it or not, the truth is, I'll believe him. I'll believe him. Your heart is deceitful above all things. Your circumstances can be for all kinds of reasons in this world that we can't even begin to go into this morning. But I'm here to declare to you one of the very fundamentals of the Christian faith this morning, that we have an eternally existent God that is eternally existent in three persons, and that God is your refuge, and that God is the one that will uphold you today. He will save you today. He will draw you unto himself today. He will meet your needs today if you'll but trust him. Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, for this simply stated, but sometimes hard to understand truth. Father, just to get a glimpse of who you really are, to understand who it is that created us who it is that allows us to exist even now, who it is that, that paid the ultimate price, that our sins could be forgiven, that we could know life as you want us to know life, that we could know that life everlasting, that we could know that life in a world without sin. Although one day there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. At present we live in a sin-cursed world. 
And there is sin all around us and the consequences of that sin all around us. But God, it's not because of you. It's because of a lack of you in men's and women's and boys' and girls' lives. Father, I pray today. You know the hearts of each one present here. I pray if there be any in our midst that do not know your presence in their lives personally, I pray that by the power of your spirit, not to be coerced by the words of men, but by your spirit that you might convict and show them in their hearts who you are today. That they might come and put their faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished for their forgiveness, for their redemption. That they might come to know that life everlasting. Father, we would also pray, Lord, that if there is someone here today that, yes, they're one of your children, but they're walking at a distance, Lord, could maybe you just take these feeble attempts and these simple words, but by the power of your Spirit, speak to their heart and remind them of just how great you are, how unlike anything else in all this world that you are, that you have always been there, you always will be there, that today you are their refuge. It is your everlasting arms that will uphold them. Father, for every one of us that are your children today, though in all of our imperfections, but Lord, we're attempting to walk with you and walk the life you would have us to. Lord, help us as you have declared to us through the prophet Isaiah to, to be a witness. That those around us might see God in our lives and through our lives despite the circumstances, despite what this world is saying and showing. that They can see God in the midst of all that in our lives. We'll give you all the praise and glory and thanks for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm.